0: edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Fangraphs contributor and Occasional Destroyer Carson Sestouli on this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. We invite you to meet the fantasy contingent of Fangraphs, that is our Rotographs writers, and we call this Rotographs Meets America. In what follows, I conduct three separate interviews with all six of our fantasy writers. In part one, you'll meet Mrs. Budraka and Golubuski from the great state of Pennsylvania. We'll move to an East vs. West battle, where Eno Saris, and Zach Sanders team up to discuss some interesting elements of drafting at the churn. And finally, we look to our fantasy veterans, Mark Hewlett and Brian Jorah, who crushed my dreams with regard to Colby Lewis. Please note, this marks only the beginning of our fantasy coverage here on Fangraphs Audio. But before I say too much, let's get to the podcast. Oh, and one final note, even though one interview has concluded and another one is about to begin, when you hear this sweet guitar lick... <laughs> Now, let's go to Pennsylvania. Hello, and welcome once again to Fangraphs Audio. This is part one of our three-part series, introducing the uh, Rotographs writers here on Fangraphs Audio. I'm here with two gentlemen joining us from the great city of Pittsburgh, PA, I believe. Uh, More specifically, Duquesne University. The, uh, the man to my right is Mr. Dan Budreka. He's a contributor to Rotographs. How are you doing, Budreka?
1: Fantastic. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing I'm doing real good. I'm up here. Uh, I'm conducting the pod from from the great state of Maine. Well, I'll amend that. I'm doing it from the state of Maine. Eh. Well, we'll I don't know how great Sounds it is. Great. Yeah, the uh, the other the other uh, I don't know about great. Uh, the other gentleman joining us here is a man whose name I've never pronounced correctly. He's also at Duquesne, and his, neighbor, his, his name is Dave Golabuski. You nailed it. I did nail it, and but uh, of course. That's impressive. Yeah, heretofore you will be uh, Dave Golabla or Golabla blah. Of um, course uh, enough. Yeah, as you've become known affectionately around the website. Well, good. Uh, I've asked you guys here, and you've um, you've consented uh, to participate in order to look at some pre-draft stuff. We. Are, uh, we have got 10 days left until the baseball season begins. And that means people uh, maybe have either just conducted or hopefully, for the purposes of uh, this podcast, they're just about to conduct uh, their drafts, a number of their drafts. Maybe maybe people are just in one league. And I thought it'd be good just to get a quick hit from you guys on either what you've noticed from drafts you're participating in or if you're the sort of person who likes to uh, wait right up to the beginning of the season what you're really looking at going in into your draft, um, Dave. Let's start with you. Uh, so first question is: Are you a guy? Have you already done a draft, or are you a guy who likes to wait right up to the day of the season? And if so, why?
2: Well, so far I've done one draft, but for the most part I like to wait until this time of year, so you don't have another sort of Joe Nathan situation where you take a guy high, you know, his arm blows out, and then basically your entire season is shot.
0: Now, is it mostly pitchers you're worried about at this point? Do you think?
2: Uh, Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you get some injuries with the position player guys, too, but I think it's easier to find another comparable player that way. But if you take, say, just for example, not trying to jinx a guy, but if you take a Johan Santana, and then he has an elbow problem, it's kind of hard to find another guy that's going to be able to fill in.
0: Right. Hey, but Draco, do you have a a similar read on this, too? Do you like to wait, or have you already conducted a couple drafts?
1: Yeah, I do like to wait, actually. I actually haven't had my first one yet but what I do is I take a lot of my friends to kind of help them out with their drafts sometimes. I'm out in the same league, of course, and they send me your draft results and I kind of study who's going where, look at some ADP values, try to get a feel for things, and I'm like, Dave, I'd like to wait to the last minute possible, there to be uh, before the season starts so you know, hey, who's injured, who's won some jobs, so, yeah, you don't run into a problem with like Joe Nathan or, like, like Dave said, if you pop a guy real high that's a premier arm but he falls down with an injury... You took him in the second round. I mean, how are you going to replace that value? So, you know, that's funny to me. Well, you
0: you talk about how you like to you like to help your friends out with their drafts. It it reminds me of the uh, you know Paul Paul DePodesta's blog. Uh, it uh, it looks dangerous. You go first. You're really throwing your friends to the fire. It's very kind of you.
1: <laughs> that's a good call. I mean, it's it, it's a shame that Paul hasn't updated that blog. It's been a while too.
0: Well, yeah, it is a fun read. It's always kind of nice to get his thoughts. So, but, Draco, let's, uh let me ask you this question first. You're talking about looking at some ADPs, uh, where guys are going in the drafts. What are some observations you've found? I mean, wh- what are some things you're kind of surprised by? Like, oh, that guy's going there, you know, and, and uh, maybe an inefficiency you'd like to exploit?
1: I mean, one guy that's really stood out for me is uh, Astros starting pitcher, Wandy Rodriguez. He's got some great peripherals last year. He had 3.54 fifths. To go with you know, the nice, nice glossy 3.02 ERA, and he's going ESPN, he has hasn't around like the 11th round. I think he's a big arm, with a lot of strikeouts. I mean, he doesn't play for the best team, might not get the best win tolls, but he's coming off a big year through 200 plus innings. I think that's a guy that should be going a little bit higher. Um, another guy that's probably slipping through the cracks in a great pitcher's park is Brett Anderson, the Athletics' uh, young arm, and he's a. Uh, he had a great second half. He kinda of kept building. If you look at his monthly totals, he kept getting better and better it seems. He's a guy I think that could have a huge year, kind of out of nowhere to people. And
0: uh it's like th- dropping. Oh yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, another guy I've seen is um Brewer's uh prospect I and he got a couple of coffee last year, we've heard about him a lot, uh Escobar. ESPN his average is going around like round eighteen. I mean he's not gonna hit for much power, but he's gonna steal bases and should should hit, have a good batting average. You know, he looks like a good comp, probably maybe even better than Elvis Andres, and he's been going about six or seven rounds higher. So I don't really understand the gap there between those two.
0: Why do you think, uh, with regard to Wandy Rodriguez, why do you think people haven't really bought into the idea that he, uh, ace might be a strong word, but he's definitely a strong two, and, you know, maybe lower tier one starter. Why don't you think people have bought into that yet?
1: I mean, it could be as simple as a thing of name recognition, you know. You think of the Astros; really haven't been a contender. They've been struggling. I mean, they had a good 08. I mean, it looked like it was a little lucky, but you got you got guys like Roy Oswald over there. You know, Rodriguez made 25 starts, and you know, 25 very good starts in 08, but only threw 137 innings. So it wasn't like he's been He hasn't been around a long time. And you know, I'm not sure exactly why he hasn't been noticed. You know, not playing for a good team, but he still won 14 games last year, which, which if you want to look at wins, is pretty good.
0: Right. Now let's uh, let's turn a similar question over to uh, to Dave here. Dave, i um, you know guys uh, guys you've seen with ADPs, you know maybe a little bit higher than you expected. Um, what are you What are you looking at? What are, who are you looking to pick up a little bit earlier than they've been going?
2: One guy that really stands out for me is uh, Jay Bruce of the Cincinnati Reds. you are talking about a guy who won't turn 23 until April. And last year, his line, when you look at it, it seems like maybe he had a rough transition. But then you look a little deeper, and you see that he improved his walk rate, he lowered his strikeout rate, increased his isolated power, and if you look at the plate discipline stats on our site, he swung at fewer pitches out of the zone, swung at more pitches within the zone, which is telling you that he's recognizing he's doing a better job of um, improving his plate discipline. And then you also look at the one thing that really stands out in you know, neon lights to me is a two twenty one batting Abercan balls in play. That's going to come up considerably next year. Sean has him with a near uh, three eighty weighted on base average. Last year he was three thirty, which is basically a league average hitter, even with that poor luck on balls in play. So I think you're talking about a guy who's going to be a top ten outfielder. And Mock Draft Central right now has him going thirty eighth among outfielders after guys like Johnny Damon, Michael Goddier, Brad Hopp. And I think you're going to see um, just an all-around force.
0: of Jay Bruce, yeah. Um, how about uh, how about one pitcher that you like there?
2: I think a guy that has gotten kind of a bad rap is Luke Hogever. You're Talking about the first overall pick in the 2006 draft and huge expectations, and then you look at his ERA last year, and it was 6.55. And I mean, you've probably got you know Dayton Moore looking for Sidney Ponson and Aruba when you see that. <laughs> But, I mean, and then you look deeper there, he's not a guy that's probably going to be a star, but he has a good strike-out-to-walk ratio. He's a ground-ball guy. And I think, at worst, you're probably looking at an average pitcher, maybe even slightly above average. And while that won't be a guy that you're going to take in the first round, or maybe even somebody that you're going to take, he's someone you consider later on when you have an injury.
0: Now, let me ask you, I, th- I think I believe it was R.J. Anderson who, at the, um, at the site, wrote a piece... Sort of uh, detailing Hochaver's uh, 2009 month by month, and Hochaver had these crazy strikeout totals in some months, and then he had like these uh, almost borderline zero strikeout numbers in other months. Now, do you do you see that, uh, Dave? Do you see that as a product of random variation, or do you think that is that or is that something that might concern you uh, before you go ahead and pick him?
2: I think I'd lean more toward random variation. That might not be the most interesting answer, but I mean you're talking about a guy that overall he struck out somewhere between six and seven batters for nine innings. And I think that's probably around what you're going to see. Because when you look a little deeper, um in terms of his pitch selection those months those months, uh, there really wasn't much that changed. And that leads me to believe that he's probably going to be about an average strikeout pitcher. I mean he's not gonna be a guy that's going to miss no bats, but he's not gonna be someone who strikes out a batter per inning either.
0: Right. And now and now uh we are, we know, we're trying to make this quick. Um, so, but I do want to ask you one thing, both of you guys. We'll start with you. Uh, we'll start with you, Dave. Um, but mentioned a couple of guys, in you know, Rodriguez, Brett Anderson, uh, may- maybe Alcides Escobar as well. You mentioned a couple of guys, Dave, and Jay Bruce, and Luke Kochaver, Almost without exception, all those guys play in what we might refer to as a small market, right? Uh, Houston may be not technically the smallest, although they sort of. Play like a small market team, but then Oakland, uh, you know, Kansas City, Cincinnati. I'm wondering if uh, if you might think that there is some sort of tendency on on you know on the part of the the average fantasy guy uh, to more highly value a player who's in a who's in a big market. So you might see someone like. Johan Santana go bef- way before Wandy Rodriguez, even if maybe the skill level is the same. Have you noticed anything like that, uh, Golobuski, or or am I uh, talking talking out of turn here?
2: I think for some fans, in some fantasy owners, it might still be an issue. But I think as the years go by, you're starting to see that inefficiency you were talking about. It's starting to sort of dry up. Because I mean, you talk about a guy like, for instance, Ricky Nolasco from Florida. I mean, they play in front of. I think about three people and then about 50,000 orange empty seats. (laughs) And the guy had an ERA over five last year, but then you start to look at his peripheral statistics and you see that he struck out over a batter per inning, that he walked almost no one, and he gave up hits on balls in play over 33% of the time. So, I mean, I think a lot of fans now, they have this sort of information at their fingertips, and they use it, so you don't necessarily have that inefficiency of the guy taking, you know, the Yankees... Fifth starter or fourth outfielder over somebody that's a lot more qualified and talented in a smaller market.
0: All right, Draco, what do you think? Would you, are you going to take a stance on this, or are you kind of fall in line with uh, with Dave here?
1: I pretty much agree with him for the most part. I mean, I don't think you know the average fan or fantasy players are going to be playing favorites and taking a guy because hey, he played on a winning team. But like I was talking about earlier with Juan Rodriguez, I think it's very possible that name recognition can come into play. I mean. We look at a guy like Ian Desmond, who's having a great spring with Washington, and maybe the starter. You know, a lot of people may not know a lot about him. But then again, Steven Strasburg, maybe his name's popping up more. But if he plays in a smaller market team; he doesn't get as much attention. You know, that he then he may be more of a hidden guy. But to you, your fantasy experts, your people that play a lot, the diehards, you know, obviously they don't want to let anything like that slip through the cracks.
0: Yeah. Hey, well, all right, guys. Uh, that's, that's all the time we're going to use, though. To, uh, we're going to move on to, uh, I guess, Eno you know, Saris and Zach Sanders. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, this has been uh, Dan Badraka. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, too. Appreciate it.
0: All right. And, uh, and also David Golubuski. Thank you, sir.
2: Thank you. Take care. All right. Take care. Welcome now
0: to part two of the uh, of our Meet the Rotographs podcast here at Fangraphs Audio. Uh, now I'm joined by two additional authors uh, from the uh, Rotographs stable of uh, fantasy experts. Joining me to my right, and I don't know why I ever do this. I, I always uh, try to give directions. It doesn't make sense. Uh, joining me to my right is Mr. Eno Saris. He writes for uh, Rotographs. You can find him all over the Twitters, which I'm sure is the exact... Right way to say that And he writes for I think 17 different fantasy baseball websites Is that right Mr. Eno Saris?
3: At least, at least At Thank least, you.
0: that's accurate Yeah, okay, good uh, So there's Eno Saris uh, uh, Joining him is a, is another man uh, With a, a surname that starts with S And, and that's uh, that's probably not the only two things these guys have in common But of course he's joining us from the left coast And
4: his name is Zach Sanders Zach, hello
0: How's it going, Carson? It's going great I think you do a little work Is it MLB Report you write over there?
4: Uh, no, I close that down about a month ago, but I'm on um, Baseball Daily Digest once a week.
0: Oh yeah, well look at that, we have a very di- diverse uh, diverse group here. All right, so uh, so like I said, this is part two. I was uh, just talking with Budreka and Gola blah blah uh, last time, and now it's on to you guys. We're just sort of looking for quick hits here uh, again to get everyone to to get to know the uh, FanGraphs or the in uh, the Rotograph staff a little bit here. Um, and in particular, I'm just interested in draft stuff. And uh, what 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 are observations you've been making from your drafts? Uh, maybe stuff that surprised you, maybe uh, you know difficulties you came across. Um, you know it could be it could really be anything. Uh, let's see. Let's start with you, Mr. Sanders. Uh, first of all, first question: Have you had any drafts recently? And second, you know what's uh, what's one observation you've had that you know you, th- you think might help some people out there?
4: I actually had a draft yesterday evening in which I, through luck of the draw, drew the number one pick. And the thing I noticed is how awful the number one pick is after you get past pools and get to your second round at the turn. Because you have to go from pick one all the way to pick 24 and 25. And so what I ended up doing is taking out pools, of course, at number one. Even with my injury concerns, I fought it off and still took him. But then I came back and selected Adam Lind and Dustin Perdroya, neither of which I was really targeting at that point. But everyone I wanted had already been taken before me. So I didn't have much of a choice. So I just went with the two guys I thought would fit my team best around Pujols.
0: Right. Now let's talk about that number one pick just briefly. Uh, Pujols is obviously, I mean, you could never call him a bad pick. Um, how do you decide between him and Hanley Ramirez? I mean, to, from what I've been hearing, those are the two kind of consensus number one type guys. Uh, I don't know where you'd value a guy like, um, I don't know, Chase Utley. He, maybe he doesn't play quite prime enough a position. How do you make that decision?
4: The decision I made was based off the fact that Albert helps you in every category relative to his position and overall. His average is so high, his home runs are way up there, he's going to drive in runs, and he's going to steal probably 10 bases, which for a first baseman's pretty good. And so, for his position and his overall value, and the fact that he's been so steady over the years, he's a very safe number one pick, even with the injury.
0: And now, going, you know, going to that 24-25 uh, pick, Pedroia seems like a reasonable pick at that place, but then you say the name Adam Lind. Uh, of course, you know you say that Pools is, is a super safe pick. Lind is, uh, of course, he had an outstanding season last year, and he's you know young enough so that we think that you know there's even a chance he could get better. But for me, you know, the fact that he is qualifying at outfield, and there are quite a few other good outfielders out there, um, I would think it, it might be a slight stretch. For you, was it a slight stretch, and did you just figure, well, he's probably not going to be around at you know pick 50, which is you know your next pick? I mean, how did you go about that?
4: Yes, I will admit that it was a stretch, and I was not like I said, everyone I really wanted was gone at that point, and so I decided to take a chance on Lind, a young guy. I don't know if he has much upside compared to last year, but adding in another 30 home runs with a close to 300 batting average to Pujols makes Makes my offense very good, and it helps my average to have him and Pedroia with pools, and so I can get bigger boppers later without worrying about batting average. Oh yeah, so.
0: yeah. I guess that makes sense. And uh, well, now you know, uh, Mr. Serres, uh I'm wondering if you've ever had this situation, or, or well, of course you have. Uh, I think 12 to 15 fantasy teams per year, so you must have come across situations where you pick at the turn like that. What what do you do with the number one, and how do you play that? Uh, I think I,
3: I tend to agree with Zach. Um, the only wrinkle that I would put on it, and I've got that wrinkle actually going tonight in about two hours. Um, I'm doing a draft uh, where OPS is a category, and that makes it seem you would seem you would think that Pujols is perfect in that too. But um, the late shortstops um, in uh, w- if you have OPS as a category are just terrible. Um, I mean, if you're thinking about waiting on and taking Everett Cabrera. Or Alcides Escobar or one of these guys uh, late, you're you're just you're penciling in a 700 OPS pretty much, um, and that's that's not good. So uh, I kind of I kind of feel like uh, I might take Hanley tonight. I haven't quite decided yet, but uh, I might take Hanley first.
0: Is that a sort of thing that I, I mean? We all know that you're prepared and uh, you write quite a bit uh, on fantasy on fantasy baseball, and of course you're always thinking about. It. I could tell from your Twitter account. <laughs> um, but is that a sort of thing where, where sometimes you may not make up your mind about certain uh, about certain players right up to the middle of the draft?
3: Yeah, uh, I'm actually kind of intuitive about these sort of things. So uh, I don't have my mind made up completely. But one thing I do know is that uh, I actually hate the number one pick, um, and I don't want it. Uh, because I keep looking at 23-24, and just like Zach said, uh, I've got no idea what to do there. Um I think I think what I was saying to Zach earlier was uh, I feel like you're going to look good on one of those picks and you're going to look bad on one of those picks because you're at the end of the second round so you're going to catch whoever shouldn't have fallen in the second round uh, with your pick and then no matter what uh, with number twenty five you're going to reach you know right, so I, I feel I, like
0: yeah and I guess I I guess because if there's a guy that you're sort of targeting um. You know, and you sort of think of him as a third-rounder or even an early fourth-rounder, you might have to pick him at that point, right? Because if you really think he does have an opportunity, um, you're not going to get another chance to take him until, you know, until you're uh, in the 50s almost.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls there. I mean, I'm looking at – I like to take my infield early. So if I took Pujols first, uh, I'd be looking at Reyes, who's uh, drafting right now at around 28 with the news that he's been cleared and the thyroid's okay. Um, and so I'd, I'd be really tempted to take Reyes, um, to reach for Reyes at 25, but, you know, Reyes is a big boomer bust guy. So, uh, Lind is almost, uh, safer. You know, even if he's in the outfield, Reyes could, you know, crap out and give me what he did last year. So.
5: Well, now
0: here, now let me ask you this. What if you start, uh, this is for, for Saris here. What if you were to be given the, the 12th pick? So you, you got 12, 13. how, how does that treat you?
3: See, I love, I love that pick. I, I was, actually we could trade picks and I was trying to convince number 12 and I think, I think he said no. I have to check my email one last time, but I think he said no. Uh, and the reason I love 12 is because in case one of the, the big first baseman falls, Prince Fielder, Miguel Cabrera, Ryan Howard, you can take them. But almost definitely you're going to have a choice between Evan Longoria, David Wright, Troy Tulowitzki, and Ian Kinsler. And, uh, no matter what, you're coming out of that with, uh, half of your infield looking really good. And I kind of see a tier right around 15, 16, 17 where we've got a lot of complete players above that and then we got some more one category guys after that.
0: Now Sanders, do you have a similar read? Is there any particular spot that, that you like to find yourself in or you feel particularly comfortable?
4: I've always been very comfortable with that last pick with the turn going number twelve. Um, I don't like to be right in the middle. I don't usually like to be right on the end either. Somewhere like three or four, or maybe like eight or nine, is usually where I like to fall because it's not too long a wait between picks, but you're also getting the good first pick, that significant value sometimes over the guy that might fall at twelve or
0: thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now you know again, like uh, we don't want to go on too long here because these are quick hits, but there is uh, one sort of thing. You know. Uh, we were t- we were talking before we hit record here, and you were saying that that there are a couple guys that you found yourself ending up with in a number of your drafts. Um, I think it was uh, Snyder and Blanks. Can you tell me what's going on there?
3: Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, I I just try to fill my infield first, um, and then do pitching, and then I'm always looking for out. I've actually I think I have about four teams where I've got Nolan Rymold, uh, Kyle Blanks, and Travis Snyder, just taking up my last outfield spot and the util on my bench um and that's in a 12 team mixed league i feel pretty confident that uh one or two of those guys is going to make me pretty happy and I, you can get them pretty late so uh it's sort of weird how things happen like that but you know i'm not i'm not saying that i think travis snyder is 100 percent, you know gonna hit 30 homers and hit 300 this year i mean he strikes out a lot you know he's got some flaws kyle blanks is a, is a man child he's huge but uh I don't know what his batting average is going to be, but uh, I well, think between the three he, of them.
0: Yeah, especially in that park, that's a little bit scary for me, too. But, I mean, I think he managed some godly number of home runs in like, 160 plate appearances,
3: despite that fact. Uh, he's almost 300 pounds. I mean, the guy can, the guy can get it out of there. But uh, I don't know what the batting average is going to look like.
0: Right, and uh, we'll go to we'll go to you finally, Sanders. Here, uh, are there any guys that either if it's this year or maybe you know last year that you you always seem to gravitate towards that have ended up on your your roster despite the fact that um, you know you would think that it, he would be more attractive to, to other players, other other owners.
4: This year, one of the guys I'm looking at heavily is Colby Rasmus because he's falling all the way to very late rounds and he's got a lot of upside because he's young and he's learning how to hit in the majors. He's got power, and he's got speed that he realized hasn't showed yet on the base pass, and he's got what I consider to be good upside, which is what I like to take with my last picks, someone who can provide much higher than that when the round they're slotted in.
0: Okay. Hey, well, listen, guys, thanks a lot for uh, for joining me here and uh, uh, introducing your uh, your incredibly masculine, virile voices to the uh, Fangraph's uh, reader, uh, readership and listenership. Uh, I am Carson Stouli, and this has been uh, Eno Saris. Thank you very much, sir.
3: Thank you, thank you.
0: Okay, and it's also been Zach Sanders from the Left Coast. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Okay, this has been part two of three of our uh, Rotographs Meets America series. Uh, Do stay tuned for part three uh, where we meet uh, Mr. Brian Jorah and Mark Hewlett. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. (laughs) Welcome to part three of three parts of our uh, Rotographs Meets America series. Uh, here we have uh, two two veteran fantasy writers, and uh, and uh, one of one of them is a pretty serious prospect maven here at Rotographs and Vangraphs. You'll know him as Mark Hewlett. Mark, how are you doing, sir?
5: Good, Kirsten. How are you?
0: I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing I've been having a lot of fun today. I get to to uh, talk to all the Rotographs guys. And, uh, and that's been great. Uh, one of them one of whom is, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Mr. Brian Jora. How are you doing, sir?
6: I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on the other end of the podcast uh, with you. Earlier tonight, uh, Carson was on my podcast and I got to ask him the questions. So uh, turn around fair play now.
0: That's right. I'm bringing it. Although uh, this will not have the, uh, the end of round bell ringing that uh, the fantasy face-off does.
6: High quality production values on the face-off.
0: I noticed that. I noticed that big time. You also have that man voice that introduces the entire thing.
6: Oh, Bruce Buffer. Oh, good. The, let's get ready to rumble.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, the real Bruce Buffer. Well, I'm a big uh, fan of this
5: shameless him. plug here. Don't, oh, don't yeah. tell him he's going to ask for a royalty.
0: <laughs> we have the yeah. This is uh, well, it is uh, FanGraphs Audio sh- Shameless Plug City. Is its other name?
6: Uh, That's okay. the Fantasy Face-off Thursdays on <laughs> <laughs> the <Talk> off Radio. <laughs> Let's uh, plug it. Let's do it right.
0: All right, Brian, you're gonna start working for your money here. I was on that earlier with get you today. Paid? Fantastic.
6: Uh,
0: okay. Uh, let's do this. Let's talk about drafts. That's what we're here to do. Um, I'm curious about what you guys have been up to recently. Let's start with you, Jura, so you can uh, you can start earning that. Like I said. Um, question one: You know, what was your most recent draft? Question two. What happened in it? Something that surprised you, maybe? Uh, something that you you know way, way other people behave that you didn't expect? Um, go for it. Uh,
6: last night I participated in a 12-team NL-only auction league uh, hosted uh, by uh, Roto Experts. Uh, had a uh, whole bunch of people from the uh, fantasy industry, and I was there representing uh, FantasyPros911.com. Um, it was. Uh, uh high talent uh high quality opposition and uh it surprised me i guess that uh even even early in the draft that lots of money was uh, flying off the board uh people went for a a little more money than i was expecting to and i kept waiting for that uh eventual lull when when prices went down and and uh, it really didn't see it in in too many uh in too many places uh there was players uh here and there who went uh for under what uh, you would You might think that their value would be, but, uh, as a rule, I think that, uh, there was, uh, a lot more money and a lot more $1 players than, than certainly than what I was, uh, what I was anticipating, uh, to me, probably the uh, biggest surprise was right after I got, uh, Nate McLeod for $16, I nominated, um, Corey Hart and, uh, uh, he went for the same exact $16 that Nate McLeod went for, which uh, really caught me off guard because uh, I really don't think that uh, Corey Hart is much of a uh, a fantasy league uh, stud anymore. I know a lot of people were expecting at least last year for him to be a 2020-type guy, and he fell short, and uh, I don't think he's got uh, much of a chance of hitting either of those benchmarks this year.
0: Yeah, now, Hart is probably a guy, correct me if I'm wrong, who's a little bit better from a fan- fantasy perspective than... Uh, than an actual perspective, I mean, would you at least grant that much?
6: Yeah, I guess just because, you know, really not impressed with his defense either, uh, from just looking at the numbers or from, uh, the brief thing that we saw him in the spring training game that we, uh, that we witnessed together, uh, earlier this month. But, uh, he's, he's still a guy who's not going to be all that great in average. I, I expect his average to be somewhere in the 270 range. And then, you know, maybe he's a 15 home run, 15 steal guy, maybe. And I even have my doubts about that. So I'm, I'm not sure really where the help is going to come from. Uh, with Corey Hart.
0: And you also drafted, I know this, uh, Chris Young, uh, center fielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You you drafted him, or sorry, you uh, you bought him for eight eight dollars. Is that something that you're happy with? Uh, I mean, obviously we we have almost a Corey Hart esque situation here, except maybe uh, a little younger. Um, what, you know, is that something you're happy with after the fact?
6: Well, you know, you're always trying to talk yourself into guys after once they uh, wind up on your team. I've never really been a, a Chris Young fan, but uh, you know, you you look at uh, the production that he did down uh, down the stretch last year. He was so bad last year they sent him to the minors, and you know, I wonder if uh, that maybe worked as a little bit of a, a wake-up call for him. When he uh, came back from the minors in the final uh, month of the season, month plus, he hit eight home runs. And we all know that he's got that power potential. I mean, I do think that he's uh, capable of uh, delivering uh, both in, uh, in power and stolen bases. Clearly, you're not going to get anything from him average-wise. You know, I'm... I'm Crossing my fingers that maybe he can give me a 250 average, but even that might be optimistic. But if he delivers that 20 home runs and 20 steals, you know I'll certainly uh, take my chances with him at eight dollars compared to the guy who got uh, Corey Hart at 16.
0: Yeah, now actually, Mark Hewlett, you might be the perfect guy to ask about this because Chris Young and Corey Hart were two guys who were who were touted as power-speed combinations, uh, or you know, who guys who possessed both those talents coming up, uh, you know, through the minor league ranks. And then into the majors, I'm wondering how you sort of evaluate them both, you know, like what they've become um, versus what they were expected to be. And then maybe where you see each of them going.
5: I think uh, Chris Young uh, was a great pick by Brian. Um, He's a young guy still. Uh, He already has a 30 home run season under his belt. Uh, He also has the potential to seal 20 bases. So if all goes well, you've got a player that you know. If he hits his peak, he he's a 30-20 season for you, and he paid you know less than 10 bucks for that. I think that's that's a great deal. I think he he definitely still has some upside. It's a pretty young, exciting uh, Arizona team. Um, you know, maybe he'll get uh, pushed there a bit by Justin Upton, Corey Hart on the other side. Um, you know, he's got that pretty strong lineup around him, and it hasn't really helped him. Um, He's just one of those guys that uh, had a ton of potential and uh, just missed on it. I don't think he's ever really going to to, to capture uh, that picture that everyone had really uh, painted for him early in his career.
0: But Hewlett, he had LASIK surgery. You don't think that's going to cure everything?
5: <laughs> no, no, I don't think so.
0: Okay, all right. Um, now, now we were talking a little bit, Hewlett, and uh, you said that uh, you know you you went through your draft and it just worked out fine. Is that you know, you, no, no particularly surprising occurrences or observations. Now, is this is this a, a thing that happens for you a lot? You know, or are you just a master of the draft, or or was this unique for that reason?
5: I don't know if I mastered the draft, but I, you know, I was pretty ecstatic with my first two rounds, uh, picking seventh overall uh, to start off. I got uh, I got Brawn seventh overall. I was thrilled to get him there. Um, and then I got Justin Upton in the second round, so you know that pretty much made my outfield right there. Um, I think the biggest surprise in that draft was that I don't know if it was somebody living in the in the '90s or what it was, but uh, Manny Ramirez was drafted in the first round, uh, actually fifth overall. So that that was a pretty big shock. That, that, is, um,
0: that is pretty funny. <laughs>
5: funny. Um, I kind of lost respect for that guy right off the bat. <laughs> uh, well,
0: you might beat him this year. Um, I just might. Now, you were telling you were telling me and Jorah before we we started recording here. Um, there's something you like to do sometimes. I think you did it last year. You said you might do it this year. You like to kind of mix things up a little bit and test your fantasy metal, where you'll let the auto draft take over for you and perform the entire draft for you, such that you could spend the entire rest of the season fixing the damage. Uh, Question. A yeah, couple of questions. Yeah, it's like, "Well, why do you do it, and how has it turned out?"
5: Yeah, I do it because it's fun. Uh, it's a little different wrinkle. Um, if you, you know, you play five or six leagues every year. You know, you you draft each team. You tend to to get it I think we talked about this earlier too we tend to get a lot of the same players uh, over and over again on different teams and you let letting the computer do it you get a completely different uh, group of players um and sometimes you get stuck with some real stinkers and it's a lot of fun to to see to test your ability to play the waiver wire and to handle trades and uh you know it's I think it's a great way to build some of those skills and last year I did it in a Yahoo league and I ended up winning the league um, you know, I was able to to trade for Prince Fielder when he was his value was way down, and then he just absolutely exploded. And I picked up Aaron Hill off the waiver wire of all places, and he had hit about eight home runs at that point, and went on to hit a you know more than twenty more. Uh, so those were two of the key players that I was able to to launch myself in the first place with.
0: Drew, you ever try anything like that where you uh, maybe purposely? not mess up but you create a uh, a constraint for yourself to sort of uh, test your fantasy acumen
6: well, to me, one of the uh, most fun things about fantasy baseball is the actual draft itself. So I really wouldn't try something like that. Uh, certainly not in a in a real league. I'm much more likely to do something like that in in a mock draft where you know it's just just for fun and just practice. And to me, uh, the the drafting or the auctioning is is really where where I derive the most satisfaction from. And uh, you know, I, I certainly uh, applaud the ingenuity of of Mark for trying something like that. It's just something that me personally that I would never do.
0: It's a it's a sacred it's a sacred thing for you.
6: Well, I don't know if I'd <laughs> quite go to the the sacred Indian uh, level for it, but you know when 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 you are aware of uh, what gives you the most satisfaction, I don't think that uh, you would uh, mess with that.
0: Now, now, listen, Jura, you mentioned something <laughs> earlier that uh, is of some interest to me. I actually just a, a couple three days ago, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night. I participated in my first auction-style draft, um, and or I should say just fantasy auction, I guess, uh, against uh, some guys over at Rotowire. It's in the second league they have over there. And one thing that uh, I wasn't sure if I should wait for, or, you know, but I, I think ultimately I did, I was playing it pretty conservative, was what you called the eventual lull that sometimes occurs, where, I mean, literally guys might be getting tired. I mean, this draft lasted upwards of uh, five and a half hours. I was wondering if you could talk more about that sort of like identifying the lull, maybe there's just a low point where people aren't quite as excited about the draft, and you can maybe you can maybe nab a guy for, for that uh, during that time period
6: well yeah because uh, especially if if you're participating in an auction and uh, people are doing it maybe for the first time in a while what usually ends up happening is they're so excited and they they hear the big names you know you hear the the Albert Pujols or the Alex Rodriguez and you get excited and people are bidding and you get caught up in that Vegas style action and all this money goes off the board and then you get to the middle of the draft where the names are less exciting and and you see the guys who who uh, don't even reach double digits in home runs who are struggling to put up a 250 average and it's just kind of hard to get excited about the, about those guys, at least to the same uh, level that you did when uh, you know you were saying Pujols or Hanley Ramirez or, or those guys. So you have uh, less money available and and, and less uh, less exciting people and. Like you mentioned, some people may even be hitting the wall physically. So a lot of times, in the middle of the draft is is really where you can you can clean up because you have the people who spent money early, and then you got the people who are hoarding money for the end game. So a lot of times, the middle of the draft is uh, where your bargains are.
0: Hewlett, you ever try and work any magic, like, uh, magic like that? Like whether it be a uh, could be an auction style situation, or or maybe just in a draft, you ever find I guess, uh, soft spots where you can kind of swoop in and, uh, and take advantage of other people's uh, weakness?
5: I'd say really the only place I take advantage of people's weaknesses is with the younger players and the prospects. You know, I, I tend to have a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea of what people's potential is and who's going to get what kind of playing time, maybe a little bit more, a little bit better than some of the other players in the leagues. Um, so I'd say I definitely use my prospect knowledge to my advantage.
0: Well, I would have I would have thought th- that about you until just before we started recording, you were bad-mouthing uh, Colby Lewis, who, uh, who's my dog going into all my drafts this year. I think Colby Lewis is going to tear up the league. I'm thinking Cy Young. Or if they could give out two Cy Youngs in one season to him, maybe they'll give him the National League Cy Young as well. Um, but then you were saying you're not, you're not a big Colby Lewis guy, so I kind of lost lost faith in you a little bit.
5: Well, you know, it's that whole Texas pitcher thing, the whole 30-year-old guy with, what, a career 550 FIP in the majors. And, you know, yeah.
0: Well, like sad. Omar Garcia Parra says, uh, you can't measure heart. So I just want to tell you that. Hey, listen, uh, fine. One more question, and uh, because um, – You guys know this. I don't know if our listeners do. They probably don't yet. But uh, there are plans, at least preliminary plans, although they better uh, become realized sooner than later, to start a Fangraphs uh, Fangraph's, uh, slash Rotographs Writer's Fantasy League. Now, I'm I'm curious, you know, because um, even if we're not all masters of fantasy baseball, you know, we're all going to be pretty familiar with the names and have some idea of their value, if not necessarily their fantasy value, depending on what sort of cats we play with. I'm wondering. We'll start with you, with you, Hewlett. If you ever would consider changing your strategy or your style of picking, um, given the, given the opposition. Like you said, you had that one guy in that league who picked Manny Ramirez fifth overall. Now, if you, if there are some sleepers out there, you know, um, who, who you think may not, uh, may be overlooked by the average fan or by someone who doesn't know quite as much. That's something you could exploit. I would think if someone's picking Manny that early, that might be that sort of person. Are you going to change? You change up your style given the opposition?
5: I don't think so. Um, I'm I'm a pretty uh, straightforward uh, drafter uh, when it comes right down to it. Um, definitely, you're not gonna you're not gonna sneak any any anybody by uh, the writers of Fangrass. Um, but uh, I think again, uh, I have the a little bit of an advantage on the younger players. Um, so in in the later rounds of the draft, that that may benefit me. Um, outside of maybe Brian uh, Brian Smith knows the prospects pretty well too. Um, and I mean, there's some guys out there that know know uh, the prospects pretty well, but I think uh, Brian and I still have the inside track on those. I think that'll definitely help in the later rounds. And I gotta say, Carson, I highly encourage you to draft Colby Lewis in the Fangraph League.
0: I'm gonna do it first round. You watch out, Brian Jura. Do you ever change your level given the, given the level of the people you're competing against, or you kind of you stick to your
3: plan?
6: Well, I was going to say I've never done that, but if I'm going to be in a league with you and, and Colby Lewis is going to be on your team, I think we all may have to uh, get together and uh, give ourselves a similar handicap.
0: <laughs> you guys are killing me. All right, well, I'm going to shut this down before I receive any more insults on this damn thing. Uh, so for Mr. Brian Jorah, thank you very very much, sir.
6: Oh, uh, pleasure. Uh, I was thrilled to be on with you, Carson.
0: Okay, well, thank you. The, the, uh, right back at you. Uh, and for Mr. Uh, for Mr. Flippin' Mark Hewlett, <laughs> thanks a lot, dog. Uh, uh, you're welcome, Carson, always. Yeah, uh, this has been another white-hot edition of uh, Fangraphs Audio. In fact, Rotographs Meets America, that's what we're calling it. Thank you for listening, uh, and thanks for sticking with us, and, uh, and please do
4: tune in next week.